Our first Bible reading comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Colossians chapter 4 and starting at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Somewhere back in the mid-1980s, a type of craze swept across the world. And that craze was all of a sudden, every business had to have a vision statement. And it didn't take long before this craze became all the rage in churches as well. And not that that's a bad thing, it's good for a church to articulate out to the community what you're on about. Not exactly sure when and who came up with our vision statement, but I reckon they did a pretty good job. A dynamic community determined to grow like Christ, impacting our neighbourhood for him. And friends, I don't know how often you think about our church's vision statement or how essential you think it is for churches to even have one. But what I do know for sure is having a vision of who you are now are in Christ and all that that means is absolutely essential. Essential in making sure you don't get suckered into a wrong view of Christianity, which as we've seen as we've gone through this book, is exactly what's going on in Colossae. As such, having dismantled this wrong vision, Paul then gives this church and all churches the right one. Chapter 3, verse 1. Have another look at it. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now friends, if you remember nothing else from our time in Colossians, if your mind's eye locks onto and remembers these verses, then I'm happy. Happy because what you've got nice and clear is the Christian vision. The who, what, why and how of the new life that you now have in Christ. And once you have 2020 vision about this, then to borrow from our church's vision statement, your life is now primed to become truly dynamic. Dynamic in your personal walk, chapter 3, 6 to 17, and dynamic, as we saw last week, in your relationships, verse 18 to 4.1. But friends, as we went through this dynamic old to new life change, as we spend time reflecting on the great Christian vision and how we live that vision out, it's possible that you were greatly encouraged and spurred on in that moment, but then somewhere in between last Sunday and this Sunday, 
your eyes began to see Colossians 3 and that vision statement more like pie in the sky. More like pie in the sky than something that you can truly take hold of down here. Further and further out of reach as you struggled with an argument with your spouse on Tuesday. Difficulty at work on Wednesday. And some personal persistent sin right throughout the week. And so you may have come here this morning thinking, it's nice to be assured of my reality in Christ, but how do I make my reality an actual reality? Now, real in my actions, my interactions, not just on Sunday, but on Wednesday in the mess and the stress of life. How do I put to death the old and put on the news the new in those crunch moments when it really counts? Now friends, if you can relate to these sorts of questions, and let's face it, who doesn't? Who hasn't gone away on Sunday feeling newly clothed? You know, saying to yourself, there's no way I'm going to put that old grubby shirt back on. You know, that ill-fitting one titled anger, greed, pride or lust. But by midweek, out it comes and on it goes. If that experience resonates with you, And so Paul's vision statement sometimes often feels like nothing more than just that, a statement. If you can relate to that, then have another look at how Paul closes this section. Verse 2 of chapter 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, friends, while it's true, this is a very short sentence and so pretty easy to skip over. Let me assure you to do so would be a huge mistake because this verse acts like a bookend to all Paul has just said. And friends, as we know, pull out the bookend and everything falls over. And it's the very same here. Pull out. Or skip over verse 2 and all Paul has just said is going to fall flat. It will. Because owning the vision, walking and talking the vision rests on this little verse. You may have experienced the truth of this in the lives of others. That is, you may know someone who has been a Christian for decades and decades. Maybe you've done some hard course sort of theological training along the way. But in their Christian walk, well, let's just say it's hard to see the new clothes. While you may know others who are new in the faith, no church background and just a basic Bible knowledge, but the change from the old to the new is clear and profound. What makes the difference? 
Well, if you could be a fly on the wall in their household, I guarantee you the difference would be the time they spend with God. Why does this make all the difference? Because, friends, fixing your hearts and minds on things above and having the rest of you follow requires help from above. It really does. And, friends, the way that you access that help is through prayer. Prayer is what connects you equips and empowers you to take Paul's Christian vision statement off the page and have it written into your life. Friends, have a listen to what A.W. Tozer writes concerning this. He says, The Christian's heart must be soaked in prayer before the true spiritual fruits begin to grow. The Christian's heart must be soaked in prayer before the true spiritual fruits begin to grow. Prayer engages the omnipotent God and brings him into our human affairs. Nothing is impossible for the man who prays in faith, just as nothing is impossible with God. Now friends, Tozer's reflections here read like a commentary on 4 verse 2 reminding us again the vision set out in Colossians chapter 3, telling us and reminding us that vision is simply impossible without help. And as Peter assures us in his second letter, this help is available. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and Godliness. And at the risk of sounding like a broken record, we access his divine power for life and godliness through prayer. And so Paul bookends all he has just said in chapter 3 by urging us to this end. Devote yourselves to it. Devote yourself to prayer. Now, friends, I feel that I can't move on just yet without now putting up my hand and saying, I'm very much preaching this to myself right now as I am preaching it to you. Now, unfortunately, when you become a minister, God doesn't suddenly upgrade your status to prayer warrior. He doesn't. So full disclosure, I struggle as much as the next person in all of this The truth is I regularly fall into the trap of seeking to do Colossians chapter 3 in my own strength. And even when spiritual dryness and frustration of my lack of progress result, I can then struggle to see and make the link. I struggle to see chapter 4-2 is the missing link here. And I'm ashamed to say, but sometimes this can continue until God gives me a wake-up call. A literal wake-up call in the middle of the night. 
And as I lie there thinking about my lack of spiritual progress in my life, in comes this gentle voice behind it. Well, are you going to pray about these things? Or are you just going to lie there? And don't tell me you don't have time. It's too busy. It's three o'clock in the morning. Friends, I've become more and more convinced if you are regularly waking up in the night, there is a reasonable chance God is calling you to talk to him, to break the silence and have that quiet time at a time where things could not be more quiet. At a time where that old excuse, I just don't have the time, simply doesn't wash. Brothers and sisters, here's the point. Paul's big point in closing off this section. Our new vision statement concerning who we now are in Christ and how to live it out is nothing more than a shiny plaque on your wall with little to no connection to your actual life without prayer and lots of it. The very first step in setting our hearts and minds on things above and not on earthly things is looking to the one above and asking for help. And friends, as we ask for help, look for God's response, writes Paul, in being watchful and thankful. Watchful of the ways in those crunch moments his divine power is prompting, guiding, convicting, reminding and empowering you. And if through his help you come out of a crunch moment reflecting the new you, for example, showing the fruit of patience where you would have lost your cool before, don't forget to acknowledge it. Don't forget to be thankful to God in prayer. Unless you wind up putting on a different dirty shirt called pride. And so, brothers and sisters, as you go from here this morning, looking to bring who you are up there, down here, down here and into your life and into your week, don't go into it resting on your own strength, but seeking his through prayer. Remember the bookend, chapter 4, verse 2 lest it all falls over. Paul now continues by asking the Colossians that in their prayers they would also make some room for him. Look look again at what he asks for in verse 3. He says, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should, Now, friends, as we hear this ancient prayer request from Paul, try and put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Now, that, of course, means you're now in jail. Not just a 21st century jail, mind you, but a 1st century jail. What's the difference? Well, one looks more like a hotel in comparison. It really does. So there you are in this cold, dark, 
wet, stinking, vermin-infested hellhole. Movement limited because you have a painful, ill-fitting shackle jammed around your ankle. On your back, arms and legs are scars, old and new, from the beatings and lashings you've received for the crime of proclaiming Christ. Now, if you can, in some small way, imagine yourself in that scenario, what would be your prayer request if you could get a message to your friends on the outside? For me, it would probably be something like, pray that God might open a door, all right? Open a door to get me out of here. Not just because I'm guilty of nothing more than speaking the truth, but that I would be much more effective on the outside than in. Paul doesn't make that prayer request, does he? Yes, he asked the Colossians would pray for an open door, but not for him, for the message. And that he as one who carries this message might speak it just right, clearly as he should. And that's it. All Paul asks for in that horrendous setting is for opportunities to keep on speaking the very message that got him thrown into the slammer in the first place. And in this request, what we have, what we see, is not just someone who theorises about the new life in Christ, but embodies it. He really does. Paul is exhibit A of the living vision. Exhibit A of a heart and mind that is set on things above, not on earthly things. And friends, we see this truth in that prayer in two main ways. First, because Paul knows he has been raised with Christ and is seated with him in the heavenlies, Paul has little concern or stress about his present earthly circumstances. And we're not talking about some sort of mind trick here. No, because Paul knows he is in Christ, he knows without a shadow of a doubt that one day he will be with Christ. And the result of knowing this sure and certain, well, that spot inside your heart, you know the one that would normally fill up with fear, fill up with fear and dread for your circumstances, is filled up instead with the very opposite, peace. Peace. Because as John tells us, love, God's love, drives out, drives out fear. And the truth of that, the reality of that, is what we are witnessing right here in Paul. So Paul's contentment, his genuine peace despite his circumstances, is the first way he is an example. It gives us a picture of the chapter 3 new man, of a heart and mind truly set on things above. And friends, the second way we see this in Paul is in what he does desire. And that is, as we saw, that God might provide him gospel opportunities. 
And friends, as he asks the Colossians to pray to this end, it's no accident, it's no coincidence that Paul uses that term, open doors. It's an intentional play on words because Paul knows the message he has frees people from a much worse captivity. He has the key that unlocks souls from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now Paul's prayer request reminds me here of Jesus' very first sermon as recorded by Luke. You might remember the scene. In he walks into that synagogue, all eyes on him. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah is handed to Jesus. And unrolling it up the front, Jesus specifically seeks out the passage that says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. Friends, whether Paul was pondering these words of Jesus and smiling at its wonderful truth as he sat there shackled in that cell, I'm not sure. But what definitely is on Paul's mind is knowing the release Jesus brought him. Paul now deeply desired to bring this release to others. And so he prays, sharpen my key that I might set free as many people as possible while I'm in here. Pray for open doors that I might set people free because that's what's happened for me. So friends, that's Paul, inspired to write chapter 3 and inspired to live it no matter what. Will we ever be a Paul? No, we won't. But the more and more your heart and mind moves from down here to up there where you now belong, the more and more you will know the peace and contentment Paul knew. And the more and more this peace will free you to bring this peace and freedom and contentment to others. And friends, this dynamic is the final way we live and express, live out, our new life in Christ. Personal change, 5 to 17. Relational change, 18 to 4, 1. And change in the way we treat the outsider, 4, 3 to 6. Now look at how Paul encourages us to this end in closing. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, friends, see what Paul is telling us here? To be in Christ also means we take off the old clothes 
of judging, condemning and looking down on the unbeliever to seeking and yearning and doing all we can to see them released from the same prison that used to hold us. The old you didn't care about where others will spend eternity, couldn't give two hoots, really. But the new you does. How do we show that care and concern really and truly as we go about our busy lives? Let your conversation be always full of grace, writes Paul, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Friends, here's the picture these words give me. Always seek to be gracious in your interactions with the non-believer. And as the opportunity arises, put on the salt. That is, Don't just be gracious and leave it at that. But always be ready to point people to the gracious one. Think like that. Bring that attitude into your interactions with strangers and not only will opportunities come, but so will the answers. Because we have the answer. So brothers and sisters, in closing, I'm going to give you some homework. Here's your homework as you head out this week. Pray. Pray that who you now are in Christ might not simply be a nice, shiny vision statement on your wall, but a reality, more and more a reality in your life. This means in your prayers, asking for help. And be specific. And maybe pick just one thing, one struggle that you have and devote yourself to it and pray about it this week and into the next and even into the next, being watchful for his help and thankful when it comes. And as you pray, don't forget to keep the outsider in mind. Because they don't have a prayer, no connection, nothing without someone like you giving an answer. The answer that takes them from the old to the new. In the words of our vision statement, this is how we become a truly dynamic community. Growing like Christ and impacting our neighbourhood for him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you so much for that wonderful, inspired, little verse, powerful verse, the bookend to all that Paul has just said, reminding us to devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Our Heavenly Father, we recognise we often, so often, can miss out that bit. And so first, Lord, we want to confess that to you and recommit ourselves to seeking your help. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to rest in our own strength, but in yours. Help us, Lord, this week as we 
uh, remember that wonderful chapter of putting off the old and putting on the new, that your help is available. So help us to ask for it, Lord. Remind us. And Father God, we pray that you would help us in those crunch moments that come, that will come during the week. And in all our interactions, Lord, we know that we will, we will rub shoulders with non-believers. And so help those interactions to be gracious. And also, Lord, give us the courage if moments arise to take them, to season it with salt by pointing people to you, the wonderful, gracious one who saved us. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.